O Lord, you have searched me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love building things, specifically with wood. I've, I've had a fascination with wood for probably nearly 30 years now. I love cutting it. I love measuring it. I love trying to attach it and, and build something from it. And, and one thing I love about the whole building process is because the exactness that is required. So you take a 2 by 4 which technically isn't a two by four it's one and a half by three but that's another sermon altogether so you start with this piece of wood and then you have to cut it exactly you need to have it 37 and, and 3 sixteenths inches long and then you're going to miter it at 45 degrees and you're going to attach it using one and five eighths inch screws and then when all is done you should have something that is level and plumb and square and most importantly it's symmetrical that's how you make something it requires mathematics it requires measuring and of course it requires a checklist i love the checklist but you have to know that when it comes to woodworking and carpentry, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Because the same precision that is required to make that piece is that same precision that can absolutely derail a project. I remember my grandpa saying, I've cut this board three times and it's still too short. It's just amazing what happens when you make one measurement off just a little bit. As one famous woodworker used to say, you're always supposed to measure twice and cut once. You see, when it comes to woodworking, at least the kind of woodworking that I do, there is just a limited amount of room for free-handing, for creativity, and for going off the script. You follow the rules, you measure twice, you cut once and it is satisfying and comforting in knowing that as long as you stick with the rules the result will be as intended because of this changes on the fly and doing what feels or seems or looks right can cause my brain to short circuit I want it to be square and exact and precise I want to follow the rules. And so let me give you an example of what causes my brain to have lots of issues. It's this piece right here. This is known as crocheting, and I'm going to assume that this is a table runner. Is that, would that be fair enough? I don't think it's a placemat because that would be really long. So I know very little about crochet. 
I know almost nothing about crochet, if you want me to be completely honest. But I did a little research, and, uh, research and I learned a few things. Uh, one thing is, is um, the thread that is required, it uses different numbers. And guessing from my research that this was possibly made uh, with, with number 30 or maybe number 20 crocheting uh, thread. Does that sound about right for all you crocheters? Okay, a couple other things that I learned from this um, is that this is nothing like woodworking. There was, there was no board that needed to be mitered. No one started off with a, a measuring stick and said it has to be this right amount. Uh, and in fact, what, this just boggles my mind. I, I just studied this over and over again. I kept looking at it. And my first big question was, where do you start? Like, I looked all over this, and it's so intricate. It's about 44 inches long. Okay, 44 and a half. I measured to make sure it was just, so it's 44 and a half inches long. It contains 16 of these little flowers in there. Just incredible. Has this border. I, have no, I don't know if you start in the middle and you work your way out. I don't know if you start on the edge, but it drives me crazy thinking about someone saying, okay, Doug, Let's talk about how you crochet this thing. Here's something else I know that seems to be really interesting, at least to me. And I'm going to pronounce this wrong. But a, I, I believe the word used to describe the, the ball of thread is called a skein. Skein. It's called a skein. And, and obviously you can't just say, I, I tried. I tried to Google like how many, how many feet of thread does it is required to make you know a table runner and Google actually laughed at me like it's like are you kidding me do you really think there's like one number like there's every one of these is completely unique but based on kind of what I, I guessed about the size of this and the dimensions that it it used it could use as many as six to eight skeins that are 150 yards for each skein. I'm just going to call it a ball because that's what it looks like. It's like the ball of thread, 150 yards each. So it could be somewhere in the neighborhood of, of over 1,000 yards. Okay, if, if you're doing the math there, that's over half of a mile of thread that was required. And I can't imagine the number of hours and the number of profane words that would be used in trying to make this thing. How unique this is. Can you imagine someone saying, okay, here's, I'm going to give you a step-by-step, -step, Kenny, of how you make one of these. Like, I, I don't even, it just boggles my mind. I don't know how you do this. It is, it is so completely complex. If someone were to write a book step by step, m movement by movement of how to make this, it would have to be a thousand pages long. Pick up your needle. Remember, I, I know nothing. Like, how do you turn it, twist it, spin it? I don't know. I, how do you end up with a, a, a flower that at one point was a really long piece of thread? So I've 
I'm going to set this down because as you can tell, I'm, I'm just nearly on overload. I, I don't know what to do with this. I can admire it. I can say it's beautiful. And I can tell you there is no way in the world I could do it. It's just way too much. It just give me a two by four or hit me on the head with a two by four. Just don't make me try to make one of those things. It's just so mind-blowing. So we could carry this out a little bit further. And so you can imagine what happened when I came across a documentary on human genetics. And my mind was blown. About 70 years ago, not long after Rusty got out of college, scientists began studying why and how we are different as individuals. And the answer is this, dioxyribonucleic acid, which is the really long word for what? DNA. It is this double helix of molecular pairs that kind of look like a ladder that has been twisted. And it is all throughout our bodies. Just for those of you who um, love science or maybe you're a science teacher, you'll want to know, you'll want to hear this, that there's only two different pairs within this DNA strand. Uh, adenine and thymine is one pair and cytosine and guanine are the other pair. I can tell you nothing else about those. I don't think I pronounced them correctly, but that's not important. What is important is that these long strands are just made up of these two pairs that always must be together. And when so you'll get AT or GC, 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 AT, GC, AT, and those form a pattern, right? And those patterns are what scientists uh, refer to as genes. And these genes tell the body what certain proteins need to be made. These genes tell you what size your body should be like, what your brain should be like, the size of your ears, and even your cravings for chocolate. The every your DNA makes up who you are, the color of your eyes, the thickness of your hair, your personality traits. They've even learned that that based on your DNA is whether or not you're going to be a risk taker or maybe even have a proclivity towards breaking the rules. So there is so much that we can learn from DNA. In fact, over the decades, scientists have basically, basically discovered two things about DNA. They have learned a lot about it. That's not a very scientific measurement, but just stick with me here. They've learned a lot about DNA. And two, there is so much more that they know nothing about the brightest scientist in the world when studying and observing and learning about dna they look at dna about the same way that i look at that crocheted table runner and say wow that is really amazing i just don't know exactly what to do with it in fact 
they have determined about 1.2% of what our DNA does. And the other 98.8%, I didn't round up to 99, the other 98.8% scientists say we have no clue what that does or what it's for. We just know it's there. And so it's a little confusing because you walk into a science class and they're going to spout out all these numbers to make you think that they have a really good handle on how the human body works, how it's formed. But here's what they know. They'll, they'll tell you, they'll say, hey, guess what? Our DNA is 96% the same of DNA as monkeys. I know this. I have three kids. But here's what they're less likely to tell you. That we share 60% of our DNA with bananas. Again, I have kids. I know this. So they talk about that, oh, we've evolved from this and, and we come from here. But when they really get down to it, they say, we know what 1.2% of your DNA does. The other 98.8%, we have no clue. So what do we get from this? That we're close to a monkey or a banana? Or maybe we understand this. This all is really confusing stuff. But the bottom line is this. You are vastly complex. And you are absolutely one of a kind. Even when the, the medical field didn't fully understand DNA, they started to trying to, to do some things that, to help out, especially with women who were trying to have children, and they started what's known as uh, IVF. And even when mothers were having five, six, seven, eight children at a time, even though they looked very similar, each one of them was very different. So I guess you might want to ask, how unique are you? Well, I am glad that you asked that question because I want to give you just a little more science before we talk about what this means for us spiritually. The human genome holds about 3.2 billion base pairs. Remember I said the AT and the GC? 3.2 billion pairs. So if somebody wanted to sit down and take one of you, okay, Bill Jarrett, for example, and say, I'm going to write down the DNA structure of Bill Jarrett, that writing that sequence down would require about the same material as what would be in 800 page 800 Bibles so that would be this is volume one of Bill Jarrett you have 799 more to read just to see the ATGC pairing throughout his body this is even more interesting at least to me if you took one of your cells and you took the DNA strand and you stretched it out from end to end, 
it would be about six feet long. Wow, that's pretty long, isn't it? Anybody want to guess how many cells you have in your body? How about 37 trillion cells in your body? If your DNA strand was stretched from end to end, it would go from one side of the solar system all the way to the other and back again. That's what's contained in every one of our bodies and each one of you is so incredibly unique. If you had your DNA strand stretched out and one end turned on the flashlight, it would take the other end 22 hours to see that light turn on. Just so you know, it takes 1.3 seconds from light to get from the earth to the moon. Can you just fathom how much is in your body? I just want to say this again. You are incredibly unique. My second takeaway is this. You are created by intelligent design. Evolution will theorize that two objects which came from seemingly nowhere collided to create the solar system, our planet, our atmosphere, and everything in this finely tuned ecosystem. And ultimately, they would say, our, our bodies evolved from the colliding of those two entities. But I want to tell you this morning that you were created for a purpose. You were not evolved by accident. You see, the big problem with not believing that there is intelligent design, it not only affects our past, but it also forms our future. If we believe that we came from nothing, then there is nothing that we have to go beyond us. But if we believe there is a God, that there is intelligent design, we can believe that we were made on purpose, not on accident. And every single one of you, your differences, your shapes, your height, the color of your skin or your eyes, the fact that you love chocolate, or I, where is, uh, I, I lost him right here, Eddie. Something's wrong with Eddie. He doesn't like beans or cheese. That's two of the three most important ingredients in a burrito. All you have left is a tortilla. Somewhere in those 800 volumes, there's one part where there were too many ATs together, and he does not like any kind of bean. Green bean, black bean, refried bean, kidney bean. We've talked about this. He's completely different. And each one of you have different tastes, you have different desires, you have different thoughts, but it's not an accident. 
And it's not something that should make us mad or make us want to be divisive. Why in the world would God make us so unique and for some reason we decide, well, because I'm different than this person, because I look different than this person, that I have to hate that person. And God said, I created you the way that you are. I love you. It wasn't an accident. But the live Satan says this. He says that if you don't look a certain way, then maybe, maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe you've looked in the mirror and maybe you're really dissatisfied. Maybe you didn't get that grade. Maybe you didn't make the team. Maybe you didn't get the job. Maybe you keep hearing that, that voice where somebody says, why can't you be more like your older brother? And you think, well, maybe I'm just not good enough. Or maybe you find yourself looking not at the mirror, but you look across the street. And you think because that person looks different or talks different or thinks different, then I don't have to love them. I don't even have to like them. But God says, I made each one of you. I made you unique and special, and we should celebrate that. But most importantly, we were made to point to a creator. To be reminded that we serve a living God, a brilliant God, a merciful and loving God. When scientists say, we know this and this has to be true and this is how it happened, God says, I know. Not just 1.2% of you, not 12% of you. He knows all of you inside and out. As we began this morning, reading from Psalm 139, you were created by God. And our final takeaway is this. Know that you are loved by God. That you are called to love Him in return. And because you love the God who created you, you love His creation and the people He created that may be far different than you. I look at the the crocheted table runner, and I'm just baffled. But I think about my God and how he's made each one of us, and I'm truly in awe and amazed. I thank God that he created you so different, really different, and so unique. It's a God who loves. It's a God who calls you into relationship. And it's a God who invites you to join in his plan and his kingdom of showing Jesus to this world.
And so this morning, I want to invite you to be a part of that plan of letting others know that they're not an accident, they're not a mistake, but instead that they were lovingly created to show this world that we have a God of love. And if I, if we can help you this morning, if you need prayers of the church, if you want to come and confess struggles or sins that you have in your life if you want to put on jesus in baptism we want to welcome you and say we are here with you as unique and different as we are we are here to serve the one living god together let's do that this morning as we stand and sing